Hark! It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book number 31, So Long As You Both Shall Live, the tragic tale of Berkling's wedding day. And we went through that, looked at the fun European psychopath and all that aspect of it. But now we're going to do our usual roundup of book covers, book huffing, looking at some more stuff from 1976 and a bit of fantasy casting talk. Oh, I've forgotten about that. (laughs) We were doing Burt Kling. Oh. You've got a few minutes. You have to start thinking. It's all right. I totally (laughs) forgot about that. Oh, dear me. I have to start setting reminders. Okay, but let's look at the book covers first and foremost. So the original edition of this was, let's say, not the greatest design. Perhaps, Steve, you'd like to describe the very top right picture there. Morgan's is going to take some beating. Right, okay. So on the top right. Yeah. Is the original US hardback. It's just a door burst open and a man with a scalpel and a green... Oh, sorry, top left. I'm oh, going, right. I told you I was tired. Well, uh, I'll carry on on this one. It looks like he's just won the US Masters because he's wearing a green <laughs> blazer. So you're actually describing the Signet paperback edition yes. there? So that looks fairly ordinary. The one on the left... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like it's a, so shocking. A pillow fell off the uh, <laughs> off the settee whilst you. So, there's a wedding cake with a um, a bride and groom on top, plastic uh, figures, and the um, the bride has got her head missing. Mm. Foreboding. Yes. It, but it does look, and the way the font and the the typeface and the layout on the cup, it does. I'm not sure if I saw that on the shelf. I'd go. Well, I'll take a chance on that book. No. No, if I don't say certain, I wouldn't. Well, the one that Morgan's got, those have some <laughs> demented guiders. Demented, well, you can only see his eyes. He's holding a scalpel to if, a, uh, a woman's well, we'll, uh, throat. We'll let Morgan fully describe that in a minute. Yeah. And when the other one's a scalpel through a bra. Yeah, so the pan edition, the original pan edition, is a, is a scalpel and some underwear. It's pinned down. Yeah. They're not the finest set of covers, no. I don't think, really. I quite like the top left, though. I think it looks, well, it looks highly ridiculous. But <laughs> it just looks like a Mills and Boone. It does a bit. Ours are a bit. This one, the one that I've got, has got a wedding ring attached to a handcuff. Yeah, so you and I have both got the sort of gold label McBain pan edition, haven't you? And it has a wedding ring attached... Made to be out, made out to be the second bracelet of a pair of handcuffs. Which is a nice conceptual yeah, design. It's a I like bit more that. creative, isn't it, than than most of those original it, designs there. But it's either a, a giant ring or a <laughs> tiny handcuff. Oh, yeah, good point. So, so well, if only we could find. Perhaps Colin Augusta Blair's got huge fingers. It's <laughs> <laughs> so what she's very sought after in the modelling world for finger work. Or, or she's been. Uh, Chain to it, and that's just enough, big enough to go around like a, a central heating pipe. <laughs> oh dear. Five mil, you know, something like that. Six, six mil. It's one of the classic Colin Thomas cover photography pan editions that we get a lot of in the UK. And I suppose, which is our edition from? Mine's no pricing. Ooh. I don't know how much I paid for it. This is my, I've got the second printing from 1980. Mine's 150 on the back. Mine was 80p. 
Well, not for sale in Canada, £1.50. Oh, right, okay. It's interesting. Always, there's always a little difference. There we is. always find a little there difference is, between yeah. them, even if they appear on the outside to be the same. Mm. Just goes to show. And I will say, the copyright inside mine is, and I could, Morgan could perhaps confirm what the copyright is inside his as well, is to the Huey Corporation, the yeah. HUI Corporation, which is Hunter's Evan Hunter's own corporation yeah. that sort of comes into being in the 70s and then more or less everything's got that copyright credit from mm. there on in that's that's mine as steve-o's edition but morgan as was mentioned before has got an original hamish hamilton mm. well it, it's almost an original hamish uh, hamilton it's actually a book club version oh yeah, which of used the, the hamish, user hamish hamilton. hamilton so yeah published by the book club associates by arrangement with hamish hamilton so it's got the uh delightful photograph uh by beverly labarro oh that's um, bad with, uh, yeah, a very, very literal interpretation of some of the stuff that's going on in there with a, a blonde-haired psychopath um, holding a scalpel to a... It's got very mean eyes, doesn't it? It with very mean eyes, yes. Holding a, a scalpel to a red-haired lady who's got tape all over her face. Yes. Uh, basically. So if, if that's the kind of thing that you want in a book, then uh, obviously this is the cover for you. Well, it's, you're going to get like, it anyway, aren't you? I, I, so. I am very, very fond of books with scalpel-wielding psychopaths yep. and tape-faced ladies, so uh, this is a book <laughs> for me. It's a particular genre. Yes, yeah. A little too literal for, for my taste, but there you go. And then there's a, a charming... A shadowy photo of McBain slash Hunter there looking enigmatic behind a very ornate tea set. <laughs> Which is, is delightful. Yes. Uh, good work, go. Mary Van Hunter. It continues his tradition of having bizarre author photographs on McBain novels in order to keep up the myth of him being a different person. That size of it, his collar. Yeah. The 1970s, you see. Well, I know it's nearly as good yeah. the edge of his... Very, very big collar and a very nice chunky cable knit sweater. Mm. Well, that's very nice. (laughs) He was living in, up in, uh, I think he was in Connecticut when he was writing this one. So, Mm. was he down in Florida? Anyway, I don't know. You don't need to know where he was. (laughs) Drinking tea in an igloo. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking tea in an igloo. That's the dream. Ah, oh, oh, there we are. That was a good huff. Yeah, mine doesn't smell in. Well, you've given me a health warning. Very similar. Let's say exercise <laughs> caution before huffing right, this book. Well, I won't huff too strongly then. Better not be a letdown now. Was a hands down winner there. Ooh, it's, it's quite nice though, isn't it's, it? It's pungent though. <laughs> Steve has just had his pipes cleared out by yeah. the scent of Morgan's copy of the book. Yeah. Dear, oh dear. It's, Scent of a book. That was nice. If oh. only you could have seen that live, dear listeners. <laughs> I don't think Steve is going to make it through the rest of the episode. <laughs> lungs full of the... Oh, the 1976. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Okay, let's have a little bit of cultural ephemera from 1976. What do you want to do? Do you want to do... The M62. No, no, no. give over. We've done the M62. Oh. We've dealt with it. Do you want to do... Top 10 UK albums of 1976 or some US singles? We could do both. Let's have a go at both. Have a little stab at who you think was the top 10 UK albums in 1976. Well, 1976 was the year of Hotel California, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was. I'm not sure. Perhaps I'm wrong. Well. Is that not there? But that's not an album. That's a song, isn't it? Well, it was an album album. too. Oh, was it? Okay, of course. Right. Well, that's not there, but there is an Eagles in... 
The top ten. Uh, the best, best of, of the Eagles. Their greatest hits, 71 yes. to 75. Perhaps it was later in 76 then. Is, is it still going to be a lot of be- greatest hits albums? Yeah, there's quite a few greatest uh, hits in there. They're a bit boring, not masses, actually. But, oh, okay. Um, That's not too bad then. Um, but there's like, yeah, there's one or two total classic, quote, classic greatest hits things in there. Mm. Such as Greatest Hits by ABBA. Oh, naturally, yeah. The first first Greatest Hits album, yeah. You wouldn't have thought they had enough hits by 1976 to justify a Greatest Hits album, mm. but apparently they probably, so. They probably churned them out, the they, singles, they, non-stop for like two yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. was a huge seller, though, that Greatest Hits, mm. ABBA Greatest oh, Hits yeah. thing. Everyone seemed to have a copy of that. Go on, who else do you think? Um, Queen? Queen are in there. With night a, at the Opera. A Night it? at the Opera, yes. That's one of the big records of that year. There's two different people with a record in the charts called 20 Golden Greats. And I think I've got both of these records. Well, Glenn Campbell had a 20 Golden Greats. Yep, Glenn Campbell's one of them. Elvis <laughs> Presley. Nope. There, there, there were a lot of 20 Golden Greats records, weren't there? Um, Simon and Garfunkel. Nope. Um, the Hollies. Nope. Um, the Beach Boys. Beach Boys. I've yep. got that one, yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, the, the compilation of hits thing is still very much dominating really but we've got as well things like um, Forever and Ever by Demis Roussos oh lovely bit of Demis Roussos we've got train fancier Rod Stewart with uh, A Night Uh, on the Town I can't even think which one that is maybe the one with the tartan cover I don't know no (laughs) the very best of Slim Whitman oh the very best of Uh, there's a Dylan album in this top ten of Biggest selling UK albums Ooh, of 76. Let's have a think. It's not Blood on the Tracks. It's yeah, not Blood no. on the Tracks. Desire? Desire. Desire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that the song with the uh, hurricane on it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's At the Speed of Sound by Wings as well, mm. is in there. That's, uh... The Sound of Light. <laughs> but I'll, what's, I'll just... on, what's on there what's on that one do you know what? I can't even think off the top of my head what's on I don't know what I've got at Wings at the Speed of Sound no, I might have it on tape which would explain why I've not listened to it very often recently <laughs> although I've got my tape player working again but if we had to look at the charts from the time of the copyright of this book in America mm. the top 10 and you tell me if you know any facts about these people or these oh, songs okay. Welcome back by John Sebastian was number oh, one. Oh, from the Loving Spoonful. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's who he was? Yeah. I don't know the song though. No. Welcome back. Perhaps he'd had he semi-retired for well, a bit. I don't know. Well, he was at number one, so hey, he was must doing have been it right. Welcome. The song "Right Back Where We Started From." Get it right back where we started. Yeah, no that's one. a that's a wedding playlist classic. <laughs> it I is, think, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah that, that, that Christmas party classic. Get everyone dancing around their handbag. Yeah. By Maxine Nightingale. Nice. There's a bit of a trend you'll notice in some of these. Uh, there's Boogie Fever by The Silvers. Oof, don't know that one, but it sounds great. Well, it's got boogie in it and fever. <laughs> well, There's a song by someone called Elvin Bishop, who I've never heard of. Um, Elvin Bishop, no. Well, I don't think so. It's called Fooled Around and Fell in Love, <laughs> which is a, sounds like a good description dumb, dumb of a night out. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Good for him. Wings had the number five spot with Silly Love Songs. Ah, there we go. That's, uh... I love Silly Love Songs. It's a great tune. <laughs> We've got a Frampton song in there as well. Is it Show Me The Way? It's or... Show Me The Way. There's only two. And then there's the other one that sounds <laughs> yeah. just like it that's called 
It could have been Baby, Baby I Love yeah, Your Way. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Fairly certainly, but exactly the same tune. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, really similar, aren't they? They're really similar. Try harder, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> and at number seven, Diana Ross has a love hangover. Oh, yeah. In love hangover. That's it. Silver Convention are telling us to get up and boogie. That's right. Oof. Uh, I don't like to be ordered around by my records that much if I can uh, well. help it. Well, it's Silver Convention, though. It sounds very strident. That's sort of. true. There's uh, Let Your Love Flow by the Bellamy Brothers. Oh. Nice. And Johnny Taylor with Disco Lady. <laughs> oh, no. So we've got some boogie Bellamy stuff Brothers. in there. I don't mm. think that was that old. But... Yeah. yeah, oh dear. Disco very much taking hold. Yes, so that's all stuff that's happening in the charts, but elsewhere in music in 1976, we've basically got one of the big significant things that's always wheeled out in sort of programmes about 1976 in the UK, particularly, is the Sex Pistols appearing on the um, uh, Bill Grundy's Today programme. Yes. Their famous, you know, be more shocking type stuff. Yeah. You rotter. (laughs) Yeah. Which... Everyone's seen a billion kind of times. finished his career, that, didn't he? did, rather, yeah. Because he was shown up to be a, a bit of a pillock. Yeah, well, he, he was, he was, by all accounts, quite drunk on yeah. air. And then he's kind of... And I think that was like the final, trying to be a smart ass, and it yeah. totally backfired, and it was like... And being oh, a bit yeah. pervy with poor Susie Sue standing there as well. It's, yeah, yeah it's it was just bit, like, mm, it's the end he, of you. He, he kind of comes off it a bit worse than them, in, in a way. Yeah, oh, he, yeah. he definitely does, because he's clearly thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm the establishment, I know what's right. So you, he's got these... Grotty little kids on there, the Sex Pistols and their hangers-on and all the various people that are with them. And he's trying to get them to embarrass themselves. And frankly, the way they look and the way they act, they're not embarrassed by that because that's what they've chosen to do. It's been a reaction to the establishment. So he's trying to show them up, but he just comes across as such Mm. a horrible old man. Yes. Mm. And just so smug and self-satisfied, like, ah, just I can walk all over these people. Yep. That was one of the big figurehead moments of punk, anyway, in yeah. 1976 in the UK, at least. Absolutely. What else does 1976 mean in punk, Morgan? First Ramones album. Yay. First UK punk single, which was not the Sex Pistols, it was The Damned with New Rose, which is an absolute yeah. corker. As covered by Guns N' Roses on their Spaghetti <laughs> Incident album. Oh, New Rose, like the first... Yeah, first UK punk record, um, absolutely. And also, um, first Australian punk record, I think. I think I'm Stranded by the Saints might have come out in 76 as well. Yeah. What about like Dr. Feelgood? Were they, or would you not? I'd, I'd, I'd still class them as, as pub rock, really, but they mm. were definitely knocking around for a couple of years before, really, but definitely on the punky end of, of pub rock. Mm. Um, they all I suppose all shades of grey with I these think, things. Yeah, yeah, probably that <clears throat> stupidity live on one, maybe Down by the Jetty was out in 76 as well. So lots of exciting stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you've got all that punk stuff happening, but you've also got Brotherhood of Man winning the Eurovision Song Contest. Well, save all your kisses for me. Well, they had the funny leg movements, didn't well, they? Oh, there's a little bob and then, yeah, oh, there's great it stuff, amazing yeah. flares. The elbows coming out, oh, tremendous. So it's, it's an interesting time for music, isn't it? Mm. You, you understand the conditions that punk emerges from, but you've still got, you know, you've still got Brotherhood of Man, you know, being the big 
winners at Eurovision oh, yeah. and you've got well, Demis um, Roussos in the charts and things like that. It's really funny watching episodes of Total the Pops from then because you, you see so many documentaries going about, oh yeah, punk came and changed everything, smashed the establishment and it didn't at all. No. It, like, it, it doesn't make a dent in the, the charts really until like a couple of bits in 77 but mainly it's kind of years after like 78 things yeah. start kind of really creeping through. It, it never destroyed anything. No. It, it just ran in parallel with mm. and eventually merged with well, yeah, the, the patterns of the, the established music industry. Mm. I mean, there's plenty of books and discussions and debates around that, but, you know, that's how it seems from hindsight anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's have a little bit about um, some television, 1976. Some shows that began in 1976 were Family Feud in America, mm-hmm. which is basically Family Fortunes over here. Indeed. The Scooby-Doo Show, okay. The Bionic Woman, oh. and a UK slash US production, which is The Muppet Show. Oh, okay. Brilliant. The rather odd thing, because I, n- I never twigged that it was actually a UK show to me, because as a kid, I didn't know who the guests were, and I didn't realise oh. that there was, there was quite a lot of British people oh. on it. I just thought it was an American programme, but it yeah, was made over here, essentially. <laughs> Some great British programmes start, such as um, Rent-A-Ghost. Oh. <laughs> Timothy Claypool. Timothy Claypool and all those various characters and the pantomime horse thing. <laughs> yeah. Made very little sense, that programme, did, did it? Almost none. Yeah. I didn't realise it was that old, actually. That's amazing. Yeah, we must have been seeing repeats of it, I think. <laughs> I don't think it ran. Well, what was it about? It's like totally... <laughs> I think the title explains it all. Should you need to rent a ghost, go, go to, to rent, rent a, a ghost. ghost. Yeah. yeah but... I would direct any listeners who want to know any about anything about any of this to Round the Archives podcast, where this is the sort of thing that they talk about in depth, explaining <laughs> oh. the background to rent a ghost, which we just don't have time to get into here. Uh, Cholton and the Wheelies, which was an animation which oh, I yeah. love. Cholton and the Wheelies, eh? Featuring a happiness dragon. Brilliant. And... It's beginning in America, pray silence and reverence for... Oh, that one with oh. the idiotic doctor. I was, I was just going to beat you to it. Oh, you swine. The doctor as well. Sorry. Quincy M.E. begins. Yes. 1976. Marvelous. Good stuff. One of the finest bits of television ever made. <clears throat> and it never went into a Columbo-style self-reboot like, like happened with Columbo in the 90s where it comes back and it's sort of like sort of the same but it's not quite as good it's just solid Quincy all the yeah, way through for sort of solid gold how many years like four or five something like that something, it goes into the 80s yeah. certainly into the possibly he finishes in 81 maybe 82 cool but uh, yeah so Quincy starts for fans of grizzled sex pesty coroners <laughs> nosy coroners <laughs> yeah Re- refuse to just believe that anything They've never is. read their job description <laughs> yeah never in the actual uh, in the lab cutting up bodies because they're always trying to take the fight to the FDA or whatever yeah oh they're too busy battling the evils of punk yes indeed <laughs> it took, took them a few years to battle the evils of punk uh, I, I guess I think it was probably after the de- decline of western civilization movie came out that uh, Glenn Larson or whoever, is, whoever he was got upset about that yeah but, um, in the episode next stop nowhere magnificent <laughs> I'd urge everyone to watch Next Stop Nowhere it's a brilliant episode of Quincy it's so yeah <laughs> yeah a young Courtney Love and uh, Danita Sparks from L7 uh, as disaffected youths <laughs> it's just such a strange thing I remember the first time we oh, stumbled across that on TV 
It's amazing. <laughs> All right, movies. Top 10 grossing movies of 1976. Oh, I've heard of most of these things, I think, but there's one in there that I've just baffled me completely. Mm. So, anyone want to have a guess at all? or What, UK or US um, or global? Well, it'll be US box office, it'll be. Mm. 76. Mm. Give us a clue. Boxing. Rocky. Um, Rocky. <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've start. Yeah, we get to the beginning of quite a lot of films and loads of sequels, late mm, 70s yeah. onwards. Yeah. 80s would just be like, wheel them out, just had a different number at the end. Yeah, it's the start of the and... sort of uh, intellectual property, mm. you know, franchising world, isn't it, really? I guess, yeah. yeah. Was The Deer Hunter, was that about 76? Might have been, but it's not in my little list. Oh, it's not in the top 10 anyway. Like, But amazingly, in the top 10 is that, 70s version of King Kong. Oh, which is, oh yeah. yeah. What was Sybil Shepherd? Is she in it? I think so. Is Sybil Shepherd in it? Mm. I'm not I seen would it for a say long Jessica Lang, but you can say Jessica Lang. No, Don't be, let yeah. any man tell you you can't say <laughs> Jessica Lang. I'm not sure. Yeah, A Star Is Born. A oh, 70s the, the version. Streisand one. Yeah, yeah. Is, is the, uh, All the President's Men. Oh, oh wow, yeah. Course, yeah. The Omen. Oh. oh goodness! Yes, now, there's one that has sequels coming up. Mm. Yeah. It's great, The Omen. Tremendous. Yeah, film called Silver Streak, The Enforcer, and a film called Midway, which is funny because there's a film out at the moment about yeah, that, Midway. That's the one that they show continually on ITV4, like every day. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, it's on all the time, <laughs> all the time. It's really long and quite boring film. Yeah. Not that I want to offend anybody about the importance of the Battle of Midway. And so when I saw on a bus a quite 1970s-style poster postery montage thing, have you seen it? I just couldn't believe it. I don't know. Yeah, well... Bar- it was a bit strange, really. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a film called Midway in the cinemas now, yeah. but it was there in... It was one of the top ten films of 76. The two I haven't mentioned is one called In Search of Noah's Ark. Never no, heard of it. No, me either. The second highest grossing film of 1976 was a film called To Fly, which was a <laughs> special film made by NASA to be shown in IMAX. Oh. All right. So it must have only been in very specific places and very yeah. specific cinemas, specially shot by NASA. Hmm. But, so how that becomes the second highest grossing film of 76, I don't know. Perhaps they charge $1,000 an entry fee. Well, maybe, like yeah. That. Yeah, it was only watched by three billionaires. There was, it's a good year for film, though. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of stuff like Assault on Precinct 13, mm-hmm. Carrie. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. All those, that generation of Hollywood directors are really, they're the kind of new Hollywood. They'd really hit their stride, hadn't they, De Palmer? And... Yeah, because you've got things like Family Plot coming out, which is Hitchcock's mm. last film. So he's sort of representative of that few generations before. Yeah. There's all sorts of new stuff coming on. You've got Logan's Run. Oh, wow. Which is a fabulous film. Network. Mm. You've got Taxi Driver. I was going to say, that must be around then, yeah. And over in the UK... <laughs> we have got... <laughs> you have got Carry On. Um, I've, sort of, I've almost sort of answered that, really. Well, ooh, right, so there's a clue there. What? Carry On Hitchcock. No, <laughs> Carry On Hitchcock. Carry On... <laughs> Carry on up the president's men. I don't know. 
What's the highest gross, grossing Soviet film of the year? That's I, I haven't got that information. Mm. It was Carry On England as the film. We are definitely almost at the end of the Carry On films. Oh, everybody. Which was the last one? Or are you not going to tell us that? No. Even, I, I don't know which one the last one was. But, well, yeah, technically, um, but we'll be getting to that one for a while. No, that's true. I did, even Sid James has given up making Carry On films and died by now. He's like, yeah. no, I'd rather die than make another Carry On movie. Was it Carry On Emmanuel? Was that the last one? There was a Carry On Emmanuel, wasn't there? I think we might have talked about that one already. Then there was a gap, and then there was that one with Julie and Clary Uh, in the 90s. That's what I was thinking of. But Carry On England is this one. This is set in World War II Ah. with Kenneth Connor, Dicky Dicker, in the lead. And it got an AA rating, which I think it was like adult advisory at the time. I can't remember what what it's Because of topless nudity and use of the word fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh God! Oh, they just won't be able to resist right in a Battle of Britain film. Those, you, you fucker! Those, those, oh. <laughs> God, those jokes would write themselves, wouldn't they? Exactly. Oh, Lucky, no. really. <laughs> but can you imagine getting? There's probably really no bad. script. Yeah. <laughs> just take that girl's top off and say the word fucker. Yeah. Here's a list of five German words that sound vaguely dirty. Yeah. Use at will. Oh, dear me. I'll carry on films. Mm. But we do have a Hammer film, and the Hammer film is To the Devil a Daughter. It is the last one, yeah. It's, yeah. it's really I good, I think. It's, it doesn't feel very much like a, a classic no. Hammer movie, but I, I really like it. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Although, apart from, they, they ran out of money, didn't they? Mm. And at the end's really weird. Mm. There's like, you feel there's about 20 minutes of film missing to explain what happens. <laughs> but yeah, it is quite good. Yeah, so I think that covers everything that happened in 1976 well, in the cinema and in the charts and stuff like that. Marvellous. So it's Boogie, Punk, uh, King Kong and... Fockers. Fockers. Fockers, yes. <laughs> so we, we come to our casting of oh, Bert Kling. And I will run through some of the people who have already played Berkling on screen. Yeah. Because he's been included in most adaptations of 87th Precinct stories in some form or another, but not all of them by any means. So he does appear in Cop Hater in 1958, but only very briefly as like the rookie cop in it, which is obviously what he is in the book, played by a chap called William Neff. But then with the next time we see... Bert Kling, we have Ron Harper in the 87th Precinct TV series. Yeah, I think he's very good, actually. He's brilliant. He's really, mm. really, really good. The problem is, with him, is he gets stuck in your head then, because mm. he's so good. The right age, the right temperament, a nice portrayal, given the confines of that type of TV version of things. We also have Tom Skerritt in Fuzz in 1972, better known as Dallas in Alien to a lot of people. And he's all right, but it's, you know. We have a guy called Ian Ireland playing Bert Klinger in Blood Relatives, 1978. Still not watched that. You lent it to me. I couldn't work out who played him in the first three Czech adaptations because I can't (laughs) find a list of the cast. But, uh, you know, this... I'm going to sound so crass... (laughs) Svatopluk Skopol plays him in Panenka, Doll, in 1980. We've also got Fujita Okamoto in the Japanese Naked City series. Cool. In the 80s. We have Toshiyuki Nagashima in 
Kofuku, which is the Lady Lady I Did It Japanese film, which is a brilliant, brilliant film. I mean, these are sort of cling equivalent characters mm. to some extent. They're not called the same names in the foreign adaptations. There's another guy who plays him in a later one of the Czech ones. We've got Taro Kawano in the second Japanese series based on the books. Then you essentially you come to the 1990s adaptations by NBC. You've got a guy called Alex MacArthur plays him in the first in Lightning. And then Paul Johansson plays him in Ice and Heatwave, which are stories that feature Bert and Augusta's wedding falling apart. Oh, spoilers. <gasps> no. And so, yeah, he's been played... There's no particular consistent look to the people they've got to play Kling mm. over the years. No. Given his description of the book, like with most of the characters, is very set. Mm-hmm. You know, he's blonde, youthful, you know, all the, the, the things. So we put out the call for suggestions, and we got some back. Excellent. We had, from our friend Hank Wellman, we had Peter... I don't know how you say his surname. Stormare. Stormare? I don't know. The guy from Fargo, anyway. Okay. Who... Let's have a look. Okay, I've got my little... I have to put that there. So that's this chap. I have to find, try and find photos of them as well to show you guys. And you can't always find ones that represent the age or how they could look. Hmm. Okay, yep. I recognise him, yep. And my brother, Gary, suggested Jonathan Groff, who's in Mindhunter... It was the second one at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, he'd be very good, that's actually, pretty yeah. cool, actually, yeah. So I've never seen Mindhunter, oh, but yeah, I'm assured no, that have, he's, yeah. he's good in that. Yeah, and he comes across as a bit of a wet behind the ears, quite a bit mm. naive, doesn't he? His character, he does that really well. Mm. Like Kling, you know, maybe. Yeah. Always wants to see the good side of people, including serial killers. <laughs> but similar. Yeah. Mm. Our friend Alberta on Twitter said that... Uh, Dream had always been that it would be Robert Redford. Oh, and right. once upon a time, you could have put Robert Redford in as Kling, couldn't you? What we're doing at any time, yeah. fantasy casting, we can have him. But Robert Redford is very dreamy. Um, Janice Hillman over on Facebook, our Facebook page suggested Joe Thomas from The Inbetweeners. Could he do the accent? <laughs> was the question asked. But, you know, he's... He's young, youthful, blonde. Yeah, he's, guess, he's got a certain yeah. look to him. Lorraine has... This is my partner, Lorraine, has suggested Jack Loudon, who's been in War and Peace on the BBC and in Dunkirk, who's this chap in the middle here. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, so you people may know who he is. She's also suggested Jimmy Fails, who is black, which is it not a barrier to our type of casting. No, absolutely. But he's got the... She saw him in a film called The Last Black Man in uh, San Francisco, which blew her away. She absolutely oh. loved this film. So presumably he's got the right sort of performance attitude for mm. that type of role, that, you know, position. Because a lot of what Kling's thing is about his position in the hierarchy, isn't it, as yeah. the new detective? Yeah. As much as anything else. So Jimmy Fails is, is Lorraine's second... He's got a, a certain semi... Uh, um, he's permanently youthful, isn't he, really? Yeah. Yeah. Always. Even he's quite an experienced detective by now. But. Yeah, even even when they've uh, when he's been allowed to age a bit, he's still comparatively boyish, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, that's his main... His main trait, character trait, I would say. Um, our pal Stella suggested someone called Alan Richson, who has been in a few films and TV series. He's in Titans at the moment, mm. um, one of the DC things, and he was been in the Hunger Games. Oops, I've just 
He's that chap in the bottom corner there. Oh, okay. yeah. Pretty yeah. yeah. Good-looking guy. And my suggestion is Sean Evans, who currently plays Endeavour Morse, Inspector Morse, in the series Endeavour. A young Sean Evans, for me, could have made a great Burt Kling. Look at him there. He could, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very handsome men on these pages. Well, I mean, that's probably necessary for the the role, isn't it, given... um... Yeah. Well, I've come to, uh, as I admitted, totally unprepared. So, so, yeah, Gary's suggestion, I think, might get my cool. my uh, well, endorsement of those. Well, let's see what Morgan can bring to the table. Yeah, I, I did do a little bit of thinking. I think my best option that I came up with was, I don't know if you're familiar with Lucas Till. Lucas Till, I am not um, familiar. I, I knew him from playing uh, Havoc in X-Men First Class, amongst other things. Oh, but yeah. uh, he's also the MacGyver in the rebooted MacGyver. Oh, right. Um, and he looks like this. Oh, oh, ah, oh, right. I'm going to look at some other images of him. I mean, it, I think it came from being like a child actor, so there's lots of images oh, of yeah. him around looking like a little Justin Bieber. Yes, but, I see um, he, He's actually kind of grown into himself a bit now and looks a bit more rugged and a bit more like a Bertling kind of type cop character, I think. Mm. Well, so that that's, was my thought. That's interesting, yeah. Well, that's a terrible photo of him. He looks like his neck's about eight miles long. <laughs> and I say that as a man with a long neck. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Mm. Ah, well, there you go. You've thrown that into the mix. Well, we have to make a decision. Otherwise, oh, no. we'll never get this, this well, TV programme made, will we? No, we won't, no. I don't feel like I should have much of a shout since well, I didn't I do any I, of the heavy lifting. I think, though, you, um, from an impartial perspective in that case, that might, might yeah, be a good true. thing. I do like Gary's suggestion there. I think that's pretty good. Jonathan Groff. Yeah. yeah. I think if you'd have seen it, I think you might... Because uh, the character he plays, which he does very well, he's like... He's very naive, isn't he? Uh, have you seen it? I haven't, but... Oh, uh, right. I, 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 well, he, uh, yeah, he would play I'd somebody like who's... Uh, yeah, he would play that character very well, I would think, yeah. Well, it sounds like Jonathan Groff's got the got the job, doesn't it, really? I guess so, yeah. And if he doesn't want it, then your suggestion <laughs> can enough. have it. We'll, 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 we'll keep uh, Lucas Till on the back burner, just in case, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, there you go. Jonathan Groff is our new Detective Bert Kling. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll, I'll get him on the blower and let him know. He'll be made yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. He'd be very good, he would, yeah. It just goes <laughs> to show the power of Netflix to introduce actors to you. Non-existent television programmes. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. We need to decide who we're going to cast next time. What's the next Ooh. challenge that we throw out there? So are we going outside the squad for... We, do, uh, do you know who a prominent character is in the next... One, I, not off the top of my head, no, because I haven't read it in a long, long why, time. Why don't we do one of the stoolies since they've both been Ooh. in this one? We could, we could do. We could put forward suggestions for who... Maybe we do them both. Well, the two original... A double of a fat Donner and the Danny Gimp. My goodness. Double yeah. header. Okay, that's wow. it. Wow. Who do you want to play on screen he, fat... He, Steam morbidly obese Donner, <laughs> morbidly obese paedophile yeah. Fat Donner, <laughs> and the polio ravaged Danny Gimp. Two, is... two hotly sought after roles. <laughs> I think we're going to be very much in character actor territory with that one, aren't we? So yeah. there, you are, that's the challenge for next time. Yeah, that'll be good. That like yeah, yeah. Well, that you one. don't need to do them, but you know, just. Whatever you think, yeah. so I reckon Christian Bale for Fats Donner. He'll, he'll <laughs> really enjoy taking on a new dietary regime for 
Yeah, yeah he really fit into it. And uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix for uh, Danny Gimp. He'll definitely enjoy getting Paulie all to, to really... method act the part. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear lord. That could produce some interesting results, or people might just go, what? <laughs> they probably will. Yeah. But it's worth a go. I'll try and dig out the descriptions and share the descriptions from the books on, on Twitter and, and other places as well for people to look at. But you can join us next time when we look at book 32, Long Time No See. And I might have some little treat episodes as well with some guests coming up towards Christmas, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some little odds and sods to, uh, you know, to thank you by giving you more rubbish to listen to <laughs> on your podcast app. I'm sure you all are just desperate to hear more of my voice. Well, are we all? <laughs> well, quite. So, to save you getting tired of it, I will now say goodbye, then shut up. Goodbye. And fairly well. <laughs>